Hi, this is Albert Chow and welcome to Mission Daily. Today we have Pedro Bados, CEO of NextThink. Pedro has built NextThink from a startup that was forced to pivot to a global leader in digital employee experience. Keep listening to learn how he overcame those challenges and how he plans to keep his business growing. All right, Pedro, thanks for joining us today on Mission Daily. Thank you very much for having me. All right. So what we always ask everyone that joins our show is, you know, NextThink is, it's coming to America, but it's an international company. But for those of you who don't, for those of our audience members who don't know what NextThink is, can you describe what you guys do? So NextThink is a company which basically we are improving the experience of employees in large companies. So basically, uh, I think everybody feels this pain when they open their computer or the application and it doesn't work or, you know, it takes a lot of time and, you know, if you hate the application, you know, there is other applications that could do the job better. Uh, so basically, we are helping companies to offer great digital experiences to their employees so they can be productive, they can be satisfied, they can be really engaged with what they do every day. Are you guys a software product or a services product? It looks like a software and services, but like I was just reading yes. through, hoping you could describe that. Yes, yes, absolutely. So we are a software company. So we are a, a cloud company. So basically, uh, obviously, in order to improve the experiences, the digital experience of employees across the world, uh, the first thing we have to do is to understand really what we call analytics. So really understanding the things that they don't work well. But also, we have the ability to engage with employees, right? So directly on their on their screens, we are able to say, hey, we detected there is a problem. How do you feel about that? Are you having a good experience with this application? Is it productive? So all these software capabilities, it's uh, channeling intelligence into IT departments and HR departments so they can make the right decisions for, for the employees. So that's fantastic. You're almost like a preemptive service. So if I'm logged into a computer, if I work at a company that has NextThink as a service, if I log into a computer and I'm having a problem, you actually could be preemptive and say, hey, listen, we think you're having an issue and this is the problem versus me calling into my ID department and logging a ticket or something like that. Exactly, exactly. So before even you, you know you have a problem, probably your IT department can be already fixing it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'll tell you right now, my wife who was in, in accounting, it was like, a, that's, that would have been a serious help because uh, I remember her specifically, you know, logging into her machine, having a problem, having to submit her computer for whatever period of time, getting a loaner computer. It was, it was a big hassle. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, somebody told me the other day that actually he used to uh, switch on the computer and then, you know, going for a coffee, having a couple of minutes and then going back and then start working. And I think that nowadays, you know, we have such a great experience at home, you know, with our personal computers, we should have the same at work. Yeah, absolutely. Now I'd like to get to the or origination of NextThink, right? So from the information we have on you, it looks like you went to university and you come out and it wasn't very long after where, you, where NextThink begins. So what brought you, I guess, to start the business? And also what did the business look like when you first started? Yes. So next thing, I mean, let me start with that. We are kind of an exotic company, right? Because we are based in Switzerland. You know, many people, I mean, I don't think Switzerland is very well recognized for, for software, right? It's more chocolate and cheese and this type yeah, of Nestle. thing. Nestle. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, uh, so the reason for that, you know, I'm Spanish and, and I came here uh, Switzerland 15 years ago and you know, I, st I studied uh, artificial intelligence. There's a, a phenomenal Institute of Technology here in Lausanne. And we were, you know, conducting our research around uh, end user modeling. So how people really, they behave in front of computers. And honestly, at that time was more a security uh, use case. So really 
the idea was like a credit card for uh, fraud detection system, right? Is okay, somebody is stealing your password and uh, your computer starts behaving in a, in a strange way. Probably, you know, uh, there's an alert and probably somebody is not the person who is supposed to be and there's an alert and, you know, the security department. And we, we did a first prototype uh, when I was a student. And actually, next thing is really a technology when I developed during my, my master thesis, right? And that time, we're, we're talking to customers and they told us, look, the security features and all that are very, are very interesting, but what we really care is about, you know, the metrics about things that are not going well for our for our users interesting enough at that time still it departments they were calling users which is a very old name right now they are calling uh customers to the internal employees but i think it's really the right term uh, to use and that was really the the why we said look there's a big contradiction here i mean the number one customer for an IT department is the internal employee, and they don't really know about the things that are working well and not, or not working well. So we should give them more visibility, transparency, and and open up open up the lines of communication between employees and, and IT. And, and this is what we do. Got it. So in that moment, you know, you, like you said, you you studying artificial intelligence, you believing you're going to be a security company. Did it? hurt to hear that you know the the customers you were targeting weren't as interested in what you originally thought you were going to deliver or did it feel like okay there's an opportunity here yeah i think you are right i mean there is always a, a bittersweet you know moment in which oh really so everything that we did is not so uh it's not so useful and they said <laughs> yes look i mean it's very useful but you know the number one priority here is i have all these tickets my support desk of people that are complaining about the daily jobs, they can't work and all that. So if you really want me to, to buy this product, this is what I need. And I think it's where, you know, the moment in which you realize you have to, to show traction, pay salaries, you know, have customers that you say, okay, if this is what you want, I think it's, and the more you understand the problem, the more you see that, you know, you can really impact not only an IT department, but the real employees behind computers. And from that perspective, it's even, you know, a better feeling, I would say, than just a security product. So I think at the end, it's, it's probably the best for everyone. Yeah. And was that an easy decision between you and your co-founders where you're just like, all right, this is the, this is the path of revenue. So let's do this for now. It was a painful discussion because one <laughs> of the, what, what every, I think what every young company uh, would do in that situation is to say, okay, let's do both. And you know, you start to multiply the, the use cases. And, you know, another customer wanted next thing to measure, you know, how many people which were using a specific software because they wanted to reduce cost, right? And, and we say, okay, now it's not security or operations, it's really cost, cost reduction, right? So, and then you become like uh, this Frankenstein in which you start to, you know, to do multiple use cases for and then you end up with 10 customers which are doing 10 different things with your product. That's really the, the beginning of any company, not Nextend, right? So you have to have this discipline. And this is really the, the toughest moment in which, you know, you look around the table with your co-founders and you say, okay, now it's really the moment in which we go all in for one use case and for one type of customer. And for us, it was really digital employee experience. But it was tough. It took, a, it took a couple of years, I would say. So what year are you now that you've made that decision and now you're going in towards that uh, employee experience? Yeah. What, what is interesting is when you make this decision and you commit to a, 
to a one specific market and one specific set of use cases, everything becomes much more easier. So since then, uh, we have become really one of the you know the key players in the world uh, in digital employee experience. I, I would say even we have almost created this category of digital employee experience because we were one of the the first ones really talking about how important is the digital experience for employees, and we are you know, growing a lot. I mean, we have more than a thousand customers right now, big names, uh, growing a lot even in the US. I mean, more than 100% growth. We are more than uh, 650 employees worldwide. So yeah, everything now looks much more easier than a a few years ago. And also it's because the market, not the market, the world has recognized that employees are probably the most valuable asset for any company today. And therefore their experience, retaining them, it's not a top priority for an IT department, but a top priority for the CEO and even for the board. So anything we can do to make sure employees, they feel engaged and they feel productive, it's very welcome in, in modern companies. No, I love what you said about the employee experience and how every company, every CEO cares about the employees because we've had, so one of the privileges of being at mission.org is you get to meet with all these different CEOs, right? And they always talk about how, like, even if you're a software company, well, software is made by people. So if your people aren't happier or your best talent's leaving you, what good is the, the product's eventually going to suffer, right? It's always amazing how much productive an engaged employee is compared to, to someone who is not engaged. It's a factor of 10, basically. So someone who can really, you know, works hard, either a developer or a salesperson or even somebody in GNA, which is really engaged, is multiple times more productive and multiple times any more value than someone who is, is not so engaged. So that's, that's just amazing. Yeah. And I think with the modernization of the workforce or as we move to more remote workforce, wherever that may be, really, really my only experience I have with my company is the products and services that I have to use to, to do my work, right? So if they're down or lagging or I can't log in or all the other things that IT teams have to think about. Like that's, that's twofold, right? It's, it's hurting my productivity and it's also hurting my just general thought process of working for this company. It feels like none of my tools work. Absolutely. And, and what is uh, contradict, I mean, kind of contradicting is these are the things that should make you more productive. The reason why, you know, your IT department or your company introduced all these tools is really to help you. So the things that are supposed to help you the most are the things that sometimes are in the middle, <laughs> right? So, <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah, that's, that's, uh, but yeah, we see that, you know, in many, in many companies. So the company starts, it starts off as AI company. You eventually find product market fit inside the employee experience company. Now you're a CTO role for mm-hmm. the first three years of the company. And then you eventually become the CEO. What was the, I guess the decision process in that regard to say, Hey, Pedro, you're actually probably better off just leading the entire company. Well, now we are binational, but we used to be a European company at that time, right? Very European company. So the startup culture was very different than in the US, for instance. It was not so much about, you know, growing fast or dying, or it was, it was more like an SMB type of culture, right? Because we didn't have so many success, successes here in Europe to really understand, you know, what, what it means. Now it's completely different. So, you know, we, we started growing slowly. And then at some point, you know, I, I thought that the right thing for the company was really to bring someone with a lot of experience. And, you know, we brought someone with a lot of experience from a big company. And then you realize that actually it's not about the experience or 
the size of the previous companies is, is about the entrepreneurship at the very beginning, right? Entrepreneurship qualities for the CEO of the company. So basically it didn't work out. And then I was talking to the first investor and, and then he told me, you know, you are young, but, they, but you learn and, and the company is small. So, you know, you can, you have the time to learn and why don't you give it a try? I mean, and they convinced me and, you know, I give it a try. And obviously uh, uh, the first one or two years, I had to learn a lot. Uh, finance, uh, marketing, uh, things like that, you know, people management. Uh, it was a big change, but I always like to take a uh, big change, big, uh, big challenges. And, and yeah, it was, it was a great experience. Yeah. It sounds like you had the courage to say, Hey, I'm going to do this rather than just, Oh, not me. Right. <laughs> it sounds like you do it. Did you dive right in to start learning all these, like these disciplines, like you mentioned that maybe you weren't your strengths yet. So like the finance, the people management, did you just dive right in and start learning all these elements or did you kind of stay close to, I guess, the development side of the business since that was where your previous experience was? Yeah, I think I was really lucky because I've been extremely curious since I, I was really a child, right? So I like many, many things and I tend to really go very deep into, into many things. So it's just because I like, you know, like learning and enjoy that. And, you know, I, I found finance fascinating. I, I found marketing, people management fascinating. I still find it. And almost every discipline, I think there is some, something really challenging, beautiful, you know. Uh, and I think in my case, it was not a big effort. I was never really saying, oh, I have to learn this, learn that. So it came naturally. It's true that sometimes, you know, because of my background, uh, you know, when you are an engineer, you tend to be more analytical and then, you learn that not everything in life is just, you know, a process and numbers, but there are people and emotions and, you know, and investors and customers, and you have to deal with them maybe more with your left brain instead of, you know, just uh, analytics. And, and that's, a, that's a learning, I think, that any engineer with a CEO title uh, goes through. No, I love how you framed it up in the world of analytics. I know that I used to work for a CEO that was a former engineer as well. And he always thought, he always talked about in the world of constraints. That's how he taught me was like, Hey, <laughs> the first thing is like, what's not going to work, figure out what's your limiting factors, solve for those. And everything usually flows well in between. That's kind of how he, how he approached it. I want to ask you some questions about your leadership style, right? So clearly you have a thirst for learning. How does that impact the culture that you've you've now established that next thing. What are some of the values that you you look for in like your people and that you think that your people exhibit the traits they exhibit that that match the business? The first, maybe the the most impactful thing here is really we have four core values and one is really what we call a growth mindset. I think there are there are quite a few companies out there that they share that. But growth mindset is really the ability to to continuously learning, to really having the ability to question you know yourself about okay i'm doing the right thing how can i do better so not everyone has has this and many people they have this what we call fixed mindset right uh, so this is one of our four core values in the company and our values are very important so we've is the only is the only thing that we give awards the only reason why we give awards every year in front of the whole company it's really these these four values then more more precisely i think i really like when a when a manager or a leader is really on top of his business, so he has to really understand in details the business because someone doesn't really care and has a curiosity to understand the business, 
below him, below her, I think there is really an issue, uh, especially in a fast-growing company. So I, I kind of expect this level of curiosity in, in almost everyone, uh, especially in a leadership position and next thing. But that probably made us very resilient as a company because being in Switzerland, you have to be international very fast. So you have to be very adaptive. You have to be very fast. You have to learn the French culture. Very fast, you have to learn the German culture. Uh, now, obviously, you know, in the U.S., uh, we have to become, you know, binational. So we have to really integrate the U.S. culture pretty fast. So the fact of, you know, being curious, learning and all that gives you, I think, an, an advantage when you do this type of thing. No, I love it. How does, how do you, how does, I guess, the company cultivate that growth mindset? You kind of mentioned before, you got to know the details of the business. I can kind of envision when you talk to your managers, they probably have to know their numbers, the whys, their hypothesis. They have to be very crisp on that information. Plus you're an analytics guy. So I know I have to have numbers to back up my hypothesis. But what about that growth mindset? That's kind of a little bit of a softer, I would say, you know, value system. How do you make sure that gets cultivated throughout your team? Yeah, I think there are two, probably two aspects. One is really about your hiring process, right? I mean, you, you should integrate, in my, in my personal experience, we integrate questions like, okay, what is your favorite book? What is your, you know, which type of companies do you, do you admire? I mean, which, you know, which, which kind of websites you go to, to get inspiration, to, to look for the, the new things? And if someone says, well, I don't really have a website or, no, I don't remember really the last book, which was, it, it probably means that there is no really this growth mindset, right? <laughs> So that, that's one thing. And then when you have people that they really have some sort of growth mindset, I think it's very important that continuously you feed them with challenges. Hey, what do you think is going to be the next, you know, company in this particular area, which is doing something cool? Hey, can you come back with a couple of creative ideas about how we can improve this? It's very important that every manager is really coming up with, with, with these things. No, I love it. So it's very, I guess, solutions. You're encouraging solutions, right? You're constantly framing up challenges and saying, hey, I want, I want you to come up with possible solutions. Exactly, exactly. There is a very delicate balance between micromanagement and, and pushing people that sometimes there's a bit confusing. Uh, a manager, I think, has to, a leader has to be in the details, uh, but the final solution should come from, from, from the person owning the problem. Absolutely. You know, you started the business in Switzerland. Switzerland's obviously a smaller country. It's, you're servicing the European markets. And then you eventually decided, of course, to come to the United States. What was the catalyst, I guess, for that decision? And I'd like to hear your thoughts on international expansion. Yeah, well, when you are in the, in the world of uh, uh, IT software, uh, enterprise software, I think the, it's, it's a no-brainer. I mean, being in the U.S. is, you know, the biggest customer on earth. The, the best partners, the best strategic alliances, the best software companies in the world that you would like to partner with, you know, to go faster into, into customers. Potentially, I mean, an IPO, right? It's the U.S. market is the best market for an IPO, uh, the best investors. And the most important thing uh, that probably many European companies, they, they tend to ne- neglect is the, the, the talent in the U.S. I mean, the talent in the U.S., uh, for particular domain is just huge. And it's not because, you know, necessarily the, the schools are better. It's just because people have made it a few times, right? People that they have really been successful in companies three, four, five times, 
they know the journey. So they, while in Europe, in my particular company, you know, it's, there are not so many examples. There are not so many success stories. So it's hard. It's harder to find people which, you know, they can come with this, with this experience. So for all that, we, we thought uh, a couple of years ago that we really needed to, to have more, uh, more American DNA in our company. And we, we basically decided to, to become, uh, you know, binational and, and more and more in the, in the U.S., doing more and more in the U.S. Got it. And so currently the next thing, U.S. office is in Boston. Is that correct? Yes. So we, we, uh, yeah, we opened the office, I think, a couple of years ago. Uh, we have about 100, 150 people in, in the U.S., most of them in Boston. Uh, it's growing very fast. I think it's the third time we are changing uh, office now in two years. <laughs> so you're used to <laughs> signing leases. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's, that's a European issue. Though. We tend to be a bit, a bit uh, not, not ambitious enough. So every time we are outgrowing the office, you know, three months after getting it. So, <laughs> so that's, uh, that's, yeah, we are in the process of fixing that now. So, yeah, no, very uh, great location, Boston. I think uh, many, many great companies uh, with a lot of talent. I think it's just uh, easier to get uh, from Europe than the West Coast. So we can really, you know, send people and people from Boston can come to Europe. So we, we like it very much. Got it. And have you yourself flown over quite a few times now, I'm assuming? Well, I mean, I, I'm going there every month, but uh, I'm, I'm in the process of moving my family to Boston on uh, in two months. So basically, I will be a Bostonian resident in, uh, in March uh, 2020. Oh, so there yeah. you go. Yeah. That's it's, quite exciting. It is. It is. It is. Actually, uh, I just got my, my apartment. Uh, so that's a big relief. Uh, and now, uh, yeah, I'm in the process of, you know, doing all the things for, for my two daughters and for my wife. So we are, you know, doing all these, these paperwork and things like that, but very excited about the opportunity. And I think it's going to be a, a great professional and personal experience to be honest, being in Boston. So you're coming over to, to the Americas. You obviously believe that this area, this market is huge. And you mentioned before the size of partnerships. So next thing today is operating across, like you mentioned before you know, thousands of customers, you're in IT departments everywhere. What do you think the company is going to do and accomplish in the next, let's say five years? Well, I mean, we are just scratching the surface of this opportunity. I mean, when you look at, you know, the number of employees in what we call the enterprise, so companies over 5,000 employees, which is probably our, our core focus, because that these are the ones that are struggling the most. It's about uh, 300, 400 million employees in our core markets, right? And probably about 100, 150 million in the US. So we are in 8 million of endpoints right now. So our 1,000 customers, they're covering 8 million employees. So if you see, we are really, you know, 4 5% of, of, you know, of what we can deliver. So I think it's, uh, there's a lot of work to do and a lot of uh, employees out there that we have to give them back all these minutes of uh, productivity losses that they are, they are having every day. And uh, in terms of product, I think there's a, a huge pipeline of innovation that we want to put out there. We want to you know, extend our capabilities to other areas which are you know, closer to HR, so we can measure you know, how good is the onboarding, how good is the, the, the support, how good is other, other things in the company for the employee experience. We are covering more uh, different types of operating system. So there are many, many things that we have to, to work on in the next five years. 
there's a huge wave, I would say, uh, and it makes sense, right? Because you just kind of hit the nail on the head regarding how many enterprise employees there are, how many people rely on systems and tools. I, I call them like the education tools, like the products and services that help other products and service providers understand and educate and their end customers how to use products and services. So like they're in this middle layer of education or SaaS analytics, like you'll see a huge wave, product analytics, project management type products. So it's a huge wave. What I'm curious about is like what separates next thing? What is, what is something that, for example, your customers will experience uniquely from, a next, from next thing services? Let me put it like this. When you look at why people are leaving companies today, right? Uh, it's uh, the number one factor is really because employees, these employees who are leaving, they don't feel they can accomplish their jobs. They, they feel like, okay, at the end of the day, I didn't get my job done. And when you go into the, into the research about why, sometimes it's because, as you said, lack of training or they, they say more, they, they don't find the information, right? They, they are unable to find information. So this is about one third, right? And another third is really about all the issues that they have with their, with their endpoints and their applications. So basically, they don't have the right video conferencing tool to get their, you know, to connect with their customers. When they open their computer, it takes, you know, 10 minutes to boot and they can't really, <laughs> and it's, it's super slow when they go into Excel or they need to send an email to a customer, it doesn't work. So all these things are, are the things that next thing can fix uniquely compared to, you know, other products that they're more about, you know, learning or, or searching information. So this one third of why people are frustrated, you know, and they don't get accomplished, their, their, job, their job accomplished, therefore they, they leave companies, they are demotivated, they are not engaged and they leave companies. That's really the value that we can provide to, to our customers. The next thing actually can fix the actual problem. Absolutely. So yeah, I want to be very clear. So we are not just a product giving bad news. I mean, we are not a yeah. product saying, saying, okay, these are all the, the pain points. These are all the struggles that users are, or your employees are going through. No, we can automate and remediate a big part of them. We can even, you know, engage with end users. So an IT department has the opportunity to, to ask also the question, okay, we detected all these issues. Are they really issues uh, affecting your productivity or not? So it's, it's much more about, you know, automating the whole experience cycle, what we call, you know, experience management. That's what we do. Uh, I've been saying to a couple of different, um, interviewing a couple of different CEOs, and it seems like everyone's moving towards this concept where it's much more like a much more passive experience for the, the customer, meaning the customer doesn't have to log tickets, doesn't have to identify and troubleshoot their own issues. It sounds like next thing, like you already talked about, what can be proactive, preventative, uh, and, exactly. and you know, I'm like, so that when I flip my computer on, the problem already fixed itself. I, I don't even know that it existed. It's not a problem anymore. That's level one, I would say. That's really, oh, really? the things. Yeah, the things they should really work as they are expected to work. Now it's about how we can imagine you are the CIO or CEO of you know hundred thousand people organization. You want to introduce innovation. You have you are in forty different countries with, you know, there are thousands of people joining every month and thousands of people probably living every month, right? And you want to drive a digital transformation. You want to introduce new applications. How can you do that without really being in contact with your employees, without asking them, okay, how are you experiencing this? Is it working? Is it not working? Yes, it's working. Okay, let's extend it to some 
other countries. If you don't put the, the employee in the loop when you are doing transformations today, is it's basically very difficult to it's like a it's like a, a marketing company or a marketing department which is not asking customers what they need to improve the products, you know, would be uh, unthinkable today, right? So that's uh, that's the same revolution. So fixing issues, the number, the basics, I would say. The second really is engaging conversations with employees about what they need to be more productive, right? That's that's really uh, next level. No, that is super cool. What I want to do now is I want to ask you a couple questions for yourself just to kind of, so our audience can get to know you a little better. What's a book you read recently that you really like? You're gonna be surprised. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm very I'm very uh, I'm very big in uh, everything which is really about you know mindfulness and all that. And and one book that I really recommend is is called One Million Thoughts. Uh, it's not a business book at all. It's really about meditation. Um, so One Million Thoughts is written by uh, Om Swami, which is a very uh, famous yogi. Uh, which we sell Jogi, which is giving you the, you know, the ability to really uh, spend 15 to 30 minutes every morning meditated, meditating. And then uh, it can really change your day because you're going to be much more focused, much more calm. And I think it's, it's really a great book and explains very well the, the secrets of, of meditation. Very cool. Sounds like you're actively uh, practicing meditation now because of this book. I am. I'm, I'm trying to uh, practice. Uh, I, I can't say that I do it every day, but I do it a few days per, per week. And it's really fantastic. Awesome. How about who do you admire? Um, you, it can be business or it can just be outside of business. Yeah, I don't have like a one, um, one particular person that I admire for everything. I think there are, there are a few people that I really admire. You know, I always talk about Jeff uh, Weiner, the, the CEO of uh, LinkedIn. Uh, because you know uh, his his way of doing compassionate uh, management. Uh, I also admire you know uh, Satella, the CEO of Microsoft, because how the capability he had to transform Microsoft and to really make them believe again and how great Microsoft was. Um, so I always admire people, especially business people, that they always have a purpose which is beyond just the pure revenue and profits. I think that's something uh, very, very important. Awesome. How about what's something that you have yet to accomplish that you look forward to accomplishing? I, I was training for a marathon, but I had my first uh, daughter and then I stopped. I did a half marathon and then I was trained for a marathon. I had my second daughter, then I stopped. <laughs> so I, it, was, it was kind of back and forth the last four years, but I hopefully in Boston, I think you have to be pretty good to run the marathon, the, the marathon in Boston. but. Um, Maybe the, the, the one in New York or the next year, that would be great. You better watch out. You might have another kid. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I, I, I keep having kids to, to avoid running a marathon. <laughs> <laughs> when I put it together, it sounds, you know, you're very mindful. You know, I, I personally believe it and I know a lot of others have as well. It sounds like you're very mindful of your physical well-being in addition to like the business side of things, right? You're like looking to bring forward both things. No, it's super important. You know, I I think um, when you are a, a sportman, you know, like a elite uh, sportman, right? You, you always have all these people around your this around this this person, right? About the health, the the, the mindset, and all that, psychologist and all that. But I think when you are really a, a leader, also it's super important to take care of your health, 
your mental health because you have to make so many decisions every day. So people are expecting you to make the right decision in a 30 minutes meeting and you can't push it because if you push it, you know, people can waste weeks that you really have to be fit. And, and I think, uh, you know, I, I tend to do my best, you know, uh, keeping this, this balance. Absolutely. Bezos is famous for saying, you know, if he makes three decisions a day, it's a pretty good day. <laughs> three, three key decisions. Yeah. Unfortunately, in a fast growing company, you have to make a lot of more, de- I mean, many more decisions every yeah, day. Yeah. Uh, and I think it's, uh, that's why, you know, if you have a bad day and you don't feel like making decisions, you really slow down the company sometimes. So it, it's very important. You know, you always have to be, you know, well balanced, as, as you said, you know, mindful. There you go. Pedro, I want to say thank you for joining us today on Mission Daily. It was my pleasure. Thank you very much. Mission Daily and all of our podcasts are created with love by our team at mission.org. We own and operate a network of podcasts and a brand and story studio designed to accelerate learning. Our clients include companies like Salesforce, they're a customer times five, Twilio, and Katera, who work with us because we produce results. To learn more and get our case studies, check out mission.org slash studios. If you're tired of media and news that promotes fear, uncertainty, and doubt, and if you want an antidote to all that chaos, you're at the right place. Subscribe here and to our daily newsletter at mission.org. Each morning, you'll get a newsletter that will help you start your morning and your day off right. Hey listeners, thanks for tuning into this episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you haven't already, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. It helps spread the word and I would greatly appreciate it. See you next time.